welcome back to episode number 201 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and entries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and if you've been with us for the past 200 episodes, I do want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for the work you're doing in entries handling combustible dust. This is the first podcast episode you're listening to for the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I also want to thank you for tuning in as well. We are starting a new mini-series, The Ripple Effects of Westray, in this podcast episode. So we may be getting some new listeners to the podcast that may haven't listened to the show before. Typically, our podcast covers technology, solutions, equipment, consulting, standards, regulations, hazard analysis, incident investigations, case studies, and more around the world on the topic of combustible dust. So this could be dust explosions from coal dust and coal mines, from grain elevators and grain and food handling, from pharmaceutical, from rubber, from metal. Basically, if it didn't start as a rock and we process it in industry, it can form a combustible dust. If it is a combustible dust, it can be a fire hazard. If it's a combustible dust, it can also be a flash fire, which is also called a deflagration or explosion hazard as well. That's something we cover heavily on the podcast. Going into our fifth year now of recording this thing, if you can believe there's that much to talk about about combustible dust. So in today's episode, we're talking about this mini-series that we'll be introducing, The Ripple Effects of Westray. Westray was an infamous coal mine in Plymouth, Nova Scotia, which tragically had a large-scale methane gas explosion followed by a full dust explosion that propagated throughout the mine on May 9th, 1992. And that took the lives of all 26 miners that were working that day. And as a sort of a side note, I guess, I grew up just outside of Truro, Nova Scotia, in a little community called Hilden, which is about half an hour, 40 minutes away from the Westray Mine site. So this is something that happened while I was growing up as a kid. I didn't know as much about it back when it happened, but certainly learned a lot about it when I went to do my graduate research in the world of combustible dust, and in particular in coal dust fires and explosions. So in today's episode, we're going to be covering a bit about this mini-series. Why are we doing it? What's it going to look like? You know, why is this important to get out there? And what you can expect coming up in the the podcast through this mini-series as well. We're going to talk about what actually happened sort of on a factual basis from the Westray mine explosion. We're going to talk about some of the things that came out of it, the public inquiry, the development of the Westray bill, Bill C-45 in the federal legislature. Uh, We're going to talk about the criminal investigation a bit in this episode as well. Try to lay the backdrop of Westray. Basically, I want this to be more a discussion of what happened, which will lead into other interviews in the mini-series. And we're going to talk about those here in a second. So that really ties into why are we creating this mini-series. The purpose here is to give another side to the numbers. We talk a lot about incident reporting, statistics. Again, if this is the first time you listen to the podcast, we run three main websites, DustSafetyScience.com, DustSafetyAcademy.com, and DustSafetyProfessionals.com. DustSafetyScience has an incident database tracking uh, as part of the, the main material that we create for Dust Safety Science. The purpose of that database is to track around the world every day, every week, every year, what is going on in terms of combustible dust incidents across all industries, generate the information and challenges that are causing injury and fatality and loss from this type of incidents, and then as a community, we work together to try to establish solutions to those challenges. At Dust Safety Academy, we run a number of educational 
modules through that community. We have uh, over 1,200 members today. We run conferences every year, again, all around this topic of Bustle Dust and Dust Safety Professionals. That is a connection platform. If you're in a place where you need support, you need consulting, you need equipment to protect or prevent from combustible dust fires and explosions, that's the place to go to get you started down that track. So that's like the summary of all the things we do online, I guess, including the Dust Safety Journal, which is our new magazine publication. But behind all that, behind all the numbers and the strategies and the standards and the education, the awareness are the people that are actually impacted by an incident, an accident, a tragedy when it actually happens in industry. And that's really one of the purposes of this series. So I was recently fortunately enough to be introduced to Vernon Terrio, who is a survivor from the Westray coal mine explosion. He recently published a book called Westray, My Journey from Darkness to Light. And in that book, he talks about his experience working at Westray, his experience during the explosion, during the rescue efforts, and then also his experience over the last 30 years since that disaster happened and took the lives of the 26 workers that were working that day. Things like, you know, nightmares, survivorship guilt, a lot of mental health challenges, challenges with the workers' compensation process, personal challenges he had with his education level and not being able to read and write and wanting to communicate and eventually get this book written and communicate the mental health challenges from being involved in or close to or in a community that is part of one of these large-scale industrial uh, incidents that causes loss of life. So when I was introduced to Vernon, I, I obviously asked him a number of questions about Westray. Again, it happened not far from my host, something near and dear to my heart, something I studied quite extensively when I was doing my academic degree. And he really said, you know, I published this book. It's been really amazing to get that out there, to have that story put into the world, but I feel like I'm not done. I feel like there's something else that needs to be done. This is particularly in this realm of the mental health challenges from those that go through industrial disasters, both survivors, their families, their communities, people that are, suffer through that trauma and having the correct support structures know that one, they're not alone, two, that whatever they are going through is going to be unique to them, but is you know a natural part of the process, and three, getting them the, the help that they need when they need it in order to survive and thrive after these type of incidents occur. So with Vernon, we had these discussions where he really wants to write another book. There's a whole number of reasons why that's a challenge. And I'm going to let Vernon talk about this in future interview as part of this mini series on why writing a, another book is a challenge. It took him uh, the better part of 20 years to write this first one. Remember that when he started, he couldn't read and write. So he started by recording the message on tapes and then translating them to paper himself and getting friends to fill in the blanks for the words that he didn't know and couldn't use the correct spelling for and that sort of thing getting it put into a manuscript, which working with his co-author Marjorie Cody to get it into a proper book manuscript, getting it edited, published. It was a whole 20-year process to get that book out. Through conversations, there's reasons why that can't really be duplicated. And again, we'll talk about that with Vernon moving forward. But instead, we had this idea about creating a mini-series on the podcast. So we're not going to be covering Westray on every podcast episode moving forward. But say for the next six months, you'll see we have multiple interviews scheduled with folks to share their experience around Westray, share how it impacted them, share where they were, what they are involved in, how they saw Westray when it occurred, in order to create the material needed for the second book that Vernon wants to publish. And the second book, the title may be The Ripple Effects of Westray. It's hard to say at this point. Really, it's about collecting these stories up, these interviews up 
with the hope that that can support others that are going through mental health challenges associated with industrial accidents. I know that through my personal conversation with Vernon, he would love to publish this book and have all the proceeds go back to some sort of funding or some sort of group that could support mental health challenges for these type of individuals. So that's really the, the mission, the vision here on why we're doing this mini series. This first episode again today is to talk through Westray, give sort of a, a base understanding. Again, you can go get a copy of Vernon's current book, Westray, My Journey from Darkness to Light, would be a great starting point to, to learn about Westray. And I'll try to cover some of the high level details in this episode. And then we will move forward in subsequent episodes in the mini series, having interviews. We're going to have two interviews with Vernon, talking through his book, his experience, all of these mental health challenges that happen when industrial disaster occurs. We do have some interviews planned with some media groups that were like some journalists that were involved in covering Westray, some researchers that were involved at the time. And then we're starting to collect up other folks like family members and people that can share their specific experience and their stories with Westray. Again, with the plan of bring this together, all the transcripts from these podcasts, we're going to give to Vernon and hopefully you can start to develop a manuscript through some sort of partnerships that we're trying to develop through this project as well. So I don't exactly know where it's all going to go, but I know where we're going to start. That's here today on the podcast in episode 201 with this ripple effects of Westray. So we talked about why we're creating this mini series. It is important to note that we've had these sort of discussions on the podcast before, and they're always tremendously valuable. Back in episode 120, we had Jane Gill on, and the topic there was remembering the 1916 Peterborough Quaker Oats explosion and fire, and that was in Peterborough, Ontario. She talked about how her grandfather, I believe it was, lost his life in that explosion. And then the multi-generational impacts of that on her father and her family, rather, and then on herself as well, on the community of Peterborough, and you know how it goes beyond just impacting the workers that were directly involved that day, but all of their loved ones, all the community as well. We had very detailed and in-depth conversations with Tammy Spivey and Tanya Ford from the United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities in the United States. Those are episodes 126 and 127 of the podcast. And Tammy talked about losing her brother in a metal dust and aluminum dust explosion, I believe in 2003. And Tanya talked about losing her uncle in industrial action at a grain facility as well. Then back in episode 150 of the podcast, we had an interview with Jake LeFerrier talking about the history of the Firefighters for Healing organization. And he talked about his involvement in supporting burn victims from industrial accidents, and in particular, some from combustible dust explosions. Being a, a victim himself in terms of he was active response as a firefighter to a host fire and in that was injured very severely, had very severe burns and was no longer able to be a firefighter, but started his organization, Firefighters for Healing. He's doing some really big things down there in Minnesota. So we covered that in episode 150 of the podcast. So you can go to the show notes for any of these episodes to get a summary of them or listen to the podcast episodes by going to our website, dustsafetyscience.com slash, and then the episode number. So 150 with Jake would be dustsafetyscience.com slash 150. Or you can just go to Apple or Android, whatever your preferred method to listen to podcasts are, and look up those podcast episodes as well. So we had 120, 126, 127, and 150. Ones where we've covered stories of individuals that have been involved from industrial accidents to tragedies like this. So in terms of the ripple effects of Westray then, in this episode, again, we cover a lot of background information. Then I really want to hear about others. So we're going to talk about research that went into 
Westray afterwards, the inquiry, how media coverage was. We have two interviews scheduled with Vernon Terrio, talking about his experience, this whole process, writing his book, Westray, My Journey to Light. And then we'd like to talk about the, the long-term impacts of this as well on others. And the goal here is to gather stories. So you have a story about Westray, how it impacted you or any industrial accident, combustible or not, for that matter. You can reach out to myself at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. Go to the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 201 for this episode. Well, a way to contact me there as well. I'm going to share that through. You can come on the podcast and share your story if you want to record an audio version or just send me an email. If it's about Westray, we'll include it in this project that we're working on with Vernon as well. So let's talk about the 1992 Westray coal mine explosion. So first I want to kind of give a, a story to set the tone for those that are, are not from Nova Scotia. If you come to Nova Scotia, one of the big things a lot of tourists may want to do is to go to Cape Breton. So if you fly into Halifax, which is the capital city, and you drive to Cape Breton, it's about a three-hour drive. You drive north up past Truro, then you drive east until you get to Cape Breton and onto the islands there. About one hour into your drive, about half an hour into your drive, you'll get to Truro, and then another half an hour you'll go past New Glasgow. And there's this big, you'll know you're sort of right there because there's a big swing in the highway. You're driving along if you're going from Halifax to Cape Breton. There's a big curve. It's it's noticeable where the highway turns based on the train that's there. Almost right there, that's New Glasgow. And almost underground at that location is where the methane gas explosion ignited for the West Drake coal mine. Um, it's actually a little bit farther beyond that, but you can really notice on the highway this big swing. So if you're ever, again, going to Cape Breton, you fly in Halifax, you drive one hour north, and you'll, you'll end up close to where the West Drake coal mine explosion happened. On the morning of May 9th, 1992, 26 miners were finishing their shift at Westray. This was in the community of Plymouth, just outside New Glasgow in Pictou County. The mine had opened seven months earlier, promised the creation of 300 well-paying jobs. It was secured by a $100 million loan from the province and from federal loans. It was expected to deliver and was on contract to deliver 700 tons of coal per year to Nova Scotia Power in its first 15 years of operation. All that changed at 5.18 a.m. on May 9th when there's a gas explosion at the coal face, which caused a secondary explosion that propagated within a matter of seconds throughout the entire mine. Uh, It was deemed through the inquiry that this explosion was strong enough likely to kill any workers that were involved. But if that wasn't enough, then the oxygen was completely consumed in the mine from this combustion process, which also would make it very difficult to to live through the mine explosion. A couple notes here. The coal dust explosion propagated almost three kilometers throughout the mine. So the scale of an explosion of this size is, is quite hard to fathom, especially in a world where we're used to dealing with above ground operations in facilities and factories and that. This was an explosion, again, that propagated three kilometers or almost two miles in length underground in the coal mine. The blast shook houses kilometers away, and unfortunately and tragically, all 26 men that were working in the mine that day would lose their lives. And this was the largest workplace catastrophe in Nova Scotia since the 1917 explosion in Halifax Harbor when two ships collided there. So if you go and look at the public inquiry, and we'll include links to this information in the show notes, there was a large public inquiry after Westrate. The objective was something like determine precisely how the miners died and what the contributing causes were and what the root cause was to, to having this sort of explosion event. It's an extremely large report. 
the conclusions and consolidated conclusions pages alone are at least 50 pages. But I'll give a, a kind of a couple notes from the technical analysis of the explosion. So ignition was most probably due to the cutting machine or the picks of the continuous miner that was located at the face of the mine. This is the equipment that, that cuts further into the wall of the mine, making the mine longer, causing sparks sufficient enough to ignite methane gas that accumulated near the face. A rolling methane gas flame, a deflagration, propagated away from the face. This accelerated into a full-scale explosion of methane gas. And there's a couple different things in the report that talk about how this could have happened. One is there were several pieces of equipment in the mine shafts that flame would have to pass through. There's also the walls of the mine itself. Other acceleration mechanisms that caused that were not necessarily ruled in or out. But at the end of the day, a strong shock and explosion occurred. And then this caused the coal dust to be picked up throughout the mine. It caused a full coal dust explosion to occur that propagated throughout the mine in, in a matter of seconds. And again, this consumed all the oxygen in the mine as well through that combustion process. So there are many different things that were contributing factors here. There was a real lack of ventilation to sweep that methane gas out of the mine. There was challenges with methane sensor tampering by the management of the mine um, and instructions to turn off methane gas sensors by management and things like that as well that are addressed in that public inquiry. There's a real lack of coal dust cleanup. In some places, coal dust was knee high. Workers had to tape their boots to their pant legs so they didn't get their boots filled with coal dust. There's a very ineffective and non-existent rock dust inerting program. Then there's several other factors that played a, a contributing and major role to the severity of the explosion that happened. So, you know, there's all these deficiencies, inadequate ventilation, human tampering with methane level monitors, inadequate removal and cleanup of coal dust deposits, and effective rock dust inerting program. Even though there's all these sort of technical questions for the common things we talk about in the podcast, there's a bigger thing here. Like the personal loss to the families and the victims is really unquantifiable here. We have the death of 26 human beings. We have the impact of their family, their loved ones to their community. Those are some of the immediate outcomes from Westray. But there's a lot of other large scale impacts that infect the community as well. There was the commissioning and five year inquiry by the province, which led to this large report, the Westray story, a predictable path to disaster. There was lengthy criminal trial from mine managers. There's millions of dollars in severance and unemployment costs, over $100 million in defaulted government loans. There's the broken contracts for 700,000 tons of coal for Nova Scotia Power that they had to either purchase or find elsewhere. Cost of this five-year criminal investigation for mine owners and managers. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Again, through my discussions with Vernon, you really get to go deep into how even one life was impacted from Westray and what the true ripple effects of, in terms of long-term impacts of him and his family. I'm going to have him on next week on the podcast talking about this as well. I'm going to talk about his lobbying efforts a bit through United Steelworkers, the creation and implementation of the Westray bill, that's Bill C-45, and, and other outcomes from you know, what was a tragic disaster as well. So if I kind of summarize some of these outcomes then from Westray, you know, there's this large public inquiry process resulting in these reports, and we'll cover this a bit in future podcast episodes, probably some of the researchers that were involved in that process. Long-term, Vernon was heavily involved in lobbying with the United Steelworkers on the Westray bill. And this is something we talked about back in episode 170 and 171 of the podcast with Steve Hunt, Talking about open challenges from review of 
the Babine and Lakeland sawmill explosions and the history of the United Steelworkers. And in that, he talked a lot about the Westray Bill. In discussions with Vernon, we'll talk about this as well. And so the Westray Bill established new legal duties for workplace health and safety and imposed, and I'm reading here from the, the Westray Bill on the Canadian website, but I'll quote it, serious penalties for violations that result in injuries or death. And what it basically does was it added a section to the criminal code in Canada. That's section 217.1. It states everyone who undertakes or has the authority to direct how another person does work or performs a task is under legal duty to take reasonable steps to prevent bodily harm to that person or any other person arising from the work or the task. And so the amendment, the goal was to redefine how those that direct work of others what responsibilities they have in terms of injuries and fatalities that can happen from that responsibility in a working environment, in a corporation environment that was not really defined in a concise manner in the legislative bills before. So that's sort of a short summary of the Westray Bill. That's something we may come back to and talk about more on the podcast later. That was one of the long-term outcomes, again, through immense efforts of folks like Vernon, United Steelworkers and others that, that had a lot of work to do in that process. There also was an extensive criminal trial after the West Draymond explosion. It's quite extensive to try to track down everything that happened here, and I couldn't find one report that had it. Really, the Wikipedia page for West Ray had the most concise summary I could find. So I'll read through a bit of this. The RCMP started their probe into the explosion around the time that the rescue was called off in May of that year. On October 5th, 1992, West Stray Cole and four of its managers were charged with 52 non-criminal counts of operating an unsafe mine under the Nova Scotia Occupational Health and Safety Act. That December, 34 of those charges were withdrawn. On March 4th, 1993, so now we're talking about a year later, the remaining non-criminal charges were withdrawn and that the folks involved expressed concern that they may jeopardize future criminal charges. At the time, so a year later, no criminal charges had been laid by the RCMP. Two of the mine's managers were eventually charged with 28 counts of manslaughter and criminal negligence causing death from the Westray coal mine explosion. And then there's a, a bunch of notes about disclosure and you know legalese challenges with how uh, the order things were done in. It does say on February 1st, 1995, nearly three years after the incident, the Crown disclosed 17 new documents that had been in their possession for at least two years, in which they had unilaterally made a decision would not that there would be no disclosure of. There were some other challenges with the judges involved and orders to be removed for confidence and, and lots of back and forth uh, that I don't fully pretend to understand because I'm not a lawyer. There was a trial, I think, dismissed and a new trial called... Anyway, at the end of the day, prosecutors decided not to pursue the charges on June 29th, 1990, because they determined that there were not enough evidence to secure convictions on these 26 counts of criminal negligence causing death and manslaughter. So from the sort of start of the process to the end of the process, we are talking about, you know, a five-year period of this criminal trial with uh, really no real long-term results after that. And so I'll mention sort of the, the last outcome that we'll talk about today, which is that every five years in, in New Glasgow and, and near Plymouth, they have a memorial for Westray. So, and they have big ones on the 10th year. So they did the 10 year, the 20 year, and, and most recently the 30 year anniversary. And this is held um, typically at the memorial site, which is just above the ground where the remaining 11 miners are trapped. And we didn't talk about this yet in the podcast, but they're only actually able to retrieve some of the, the bodies from the mine. There's still 11 bodies that are there trapped underground. So that means that they must have retrieved 15, if my math is correct. 
and there on that site above ground, they have a quite a um, large memorial or quite a nice memorial, I guess we'll say. I've been there several times. If you are doing that trip from Halifax Airport through to Cape Breton, you can get off of that exit. And it's only about um, three minutes off the, the exit where that uh, memorial is. And I certainly encourage people to go take a look. And they have the plaques there that are outlining the, the West Stray journey and, and what happened there as well. So that's everything we're going to cover today. Sort of, you know, just the Coles Notes version of Westray. What happened in terms of the public mine inquiry, some of the major findings from that. Lots of deficiencies were found in terms of the involvement of management, lack of training, lack of awareness, human tampering with safety devices, not following protocols, only doing cleanup activities when inspectors were coming. Uh, many other contributing and root causes that led to what was, you know, the one of the most devastating workplace accidents and incidents and tragedies in Nova Scotia's history. So this is just really a brief coverage of that. The reason I want to give this kind of background is we're going to be talking later in this mini series with folks that were directly involved during the recovery efforts and the the 30 years leading from that. And again, with the goal of hoping to support Vernon Terio with his, you know, effort to make visible the mental challenges and post-traumatic stress that comes with industrial accidents like this. And then also to share the stories of from himself, from others that are involved, to try to put this together again to a second book that hopefully can illuminate the ripple effects of Westray and also help others get through these type of tragedies around the world. So we'll close off on that note. I would say if this is of interest to you in terms of you have a story to share, you can always reach out to me. Send me your, you know, how Westray impacted you. That'd be a really great outcome. Something we'd add into the library of material that we're creating for this mini-series and creating for Vernon to help support his project that he's working on as well. If you'd like to share your experience with other types of industrial accidents, in particular combustible dust or otherwise, certainly reach out. Um, We'd love to have you on the podcast, share your story as well, and keep spreading this mess. It's an important one to get out there. So we'll close off this week. We talked through why we're doing this mini-series, this concept of the ripple effects of Westray, the long-term impacts from Westray itself. We talked about Vernon's book, Westray, My Journey from Darkness to Light. We're actually going to have Vernon on to share his story in the next two episodes of the podcast. We'll probably have a break from the mini-series with some of the more traditional programming that we we run here. Uh, and I'd say over the next six months, we'd plan to have you know several different interviews going on through this mini-series, talking about Westray, talking about these effects over the last 30 years hopefully digging into and making more available to others some of these insights that come out of large-scale disasters like this and hopefully start to come up with some of the solutions on how to tackle them moving forward. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to Dust Safety Science Podcast. Again, if you listened for the last 200 episodes, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is the first time you listen to the podcast. I appreciate you tuning in as well, and I appreciate showing interest in the product that we're running here. So have a great week ahead, everyone. I look forward to talking soon.